We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Romans. Are you ready? Here we go. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see if, um, if you know this song. See if you can finish it with me, okay? Dun, dun, dun. You got it. Okay. All right. You know the song. You know the song. Okay. Follow-up question. Kids, what movie is it from? Movie. I need a movie. First hand, front row. All right. Woo. McKinn, that's spiritual leadership right there. Uh-huh. Okay. Question. Someone from the back. Okay. What character does that music introduce? Uh-huh. Yeah, all right, give me a hand. There we go, there we go. All right, isn't that amazing, okay? That just a few notes, that just a few notes trigger the mind to bring about a certain character from a certain movie. Isn't that wild? Isn't it crazy how, how music can do that? How it can work like that? A, a good composer, someone who writes music and, and, and can compose and align it with movies and characters, can choose a melody line in such a way to identify a character and somehow trace that same motif or theme throughout and lace it with the song and lace it with a movie to send an overall overarching a message to the audience. That's what a good composer can do. Did you know that the Bible does that too? The Bible has a coherent, sustained message, a, a, a big idea, or you could say a unique melody throughout its 66 books that is, is beckoning to be heard. Like, the reader can identify it as you read through it closely. For example, let's say you're at a coffee shop or like maybe you're on an airplane and you're reading your Bible and someone says, hey, Joe, what's that book about? Right? How would you summarize that big old thick book in a succinct yet thoughtful way? How would you do it? Have you ever thought about that? Like the Sunday school answer would obviously be, well, it's about, yeah, it's about Jesus, right? But like for someone who's genuinely asking, and maybe they open up and they're reading through like the book of 1 Samuel, it would be hard to give like a thoughtful, coherent, robust, yet succinct way to describe 1 Samuel more than just like, that's oh, about Jesus, right? 
See, the whole Bible has a theme. Uh, on the slide today, um, what, what, I, what I would propose would be somewhat of the theme or trying to capture the main message of the Bible is something like this. If someone says, hey, what's, what's that book about? You can say this. That God is redeeming His people and establishing a kingdom through Jesus for His glory and their joy. That God is redeeming His people and establishing a kingdom through Jesus for His glory and their joy. That's what we could say the whole Bible is about. And you might say, well, yeah, come on, Newman, but like there's 66 books in the Bible. What are they all there for? And, and we would say that each book of the Bible contributes in a unique way to that overall message. Well, how do you know which, what like each book is about then? For starters, you got, you got to read it. You got to read each book. You got to read it, and then you got to reread it and reread it to try to glean what uniquely it is saying. But there are some strategies. Um, for example, let's go to the book of John. John is in the New Testament and open up to chapter 20, verse 31. Some strategies are really easy to identify. For example, in John, he straight up comes out and tells you why he is writing the book. Why did John write his gospel? In verse 31, it says, But these things are written so that you may what? So you may believe. So why did John write his gospel? So that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why a lot of Christians say John is a great book to start with if you're wanting to learn about Jesus and the Christian faith, right? Because it was written so that you would believe and that you would have life in his name. Uh, another example, um, sometimes writers um, choose a method where they begin a book and they end a book by saying the same things. It's called the top and tail method. Um, turn to the book of Jude with me. In Jude, verse 1, it's up on the slides for you as well. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and, keyword, kept for Jesus Christ. Towards the end of the letter, it says, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And then Jude 24, last verse we'll use in Jude, it says, Now to him who is able to... Good. So if you're a reader of, of language and linguistics and you're kind of you're, you're open to like literary structures and things like that, you would go, aha, repetition. I'm seeing the word keep a lot. Jude must be something about the idea of God keeping you. And so that would fit into the fancy word meta-narrative of Scripture, the, the, the big idea, a big story of the Bible to say how God is redeeming His people, establishing a kingdom, and, and He's going to keep you 
He's going to work and hold you and hold you fast during that process. Jude is a beautiful contribution to our canon of Scripture. Well, today we're starting Romans. And the theme of Romans, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to figure out what Romans is all about. Or to go along with the illustration, we're going to find the melody of Romans so that we can identify its notes and remember what this book is about. Before we jump into it, though, let me just share with you that this book in particular has changed so many lives throughout church history. For instance, there's this guy who lived a long time ago. He's kind of got a strange name, kids. His name was Augustine of Hippo. And you never heard of him? Mm-hmm. Augustine of Hippo, a little bit strange of a name. You can call me Michael of Mainville if you want to, okay? This guy, Augustine, uh, he was what, what we know as the great, greatest first African theologian, okay? And uh, he was what he describes himself as a rank pagan before he came to Christ, which is what we all were. Um, and uh, he remembers sitting in his garden and this little girl came walking by him and she was singing this song and the song translates to take up and read, take up and read, right? He looks over his fence. He doesn't see any girl, okay? And so he sits down and he goes, that must have been a message and a commandment from God himself. <laughs> he sits down and picks up the manuscript of Romans. And this is what he wrote about his experience. Are you ready? No further would I read, nor needed I. For instantly at the end of this sentence, by a light as it were serene, serenity infused in my heart, all the darkness of doubt vanished away. Isn't that beautiful? No one writes like that anymore. And then it was a Christian. He gave his life to Jesus, reading through the book of Romans. Another guy became a Christian through the words divinely inspired through this book. The guy's name is Martin Luther. Uh, Luther, as an unbeliever, was wrestling with the gospel truths. He was wrestling with the gospel. And he was a monk. And um, he described himself as the monkiest monk there were. Meaning, like, he tried the hardest to be the best monk he absolutely could. And he again and again and again found himself coming up short with regards to being righteous before a righteous God. And then he read the book of Romans. And I'll read the verse that he read later. But this is what he writes about the book of Romans post-conversion. This epistle is really the chief Part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel and is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word, isn't that great, by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much, nor the, nor the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. 
Isn't that a great quote, Martin Luther? Wow. Augustine, Martin Luther. You know what, though? It's changed my life as well. Uh, the summer of, of uh, 2000, I had the opportunity to study abroad in Italy. And here was my thought process. I said, well, I mean, I'm in Rome. I might as well read Romans. It's like, like when you're in Rome, like, do what the Romans do. That's how the saying goes, right? <laughs> Is that used right? Whatever. I'm just going to read Romans. And I remember just being gripped at the message of the gospel. I remembered my, my view of God being erased. I remember my view of humanity being rightly positioned. I remember like just seeing the promises of God fulfilled not only for me as a Gentile, but also His plan for Israel. And I remember being struck at the faithfulness of God. I remember how practical God is through His Word, by His Spirit, how it applies to everything of life, even government in chapter 13. We're going to love this book. So it's been very meaningful for me, and I hope it is both meaningful and transformational to you. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go through it at a good, healthy pace. We're not going to take like seven or eight years to go through it, but neither are we going to whip through it in 16 weeks because there are 16 chapters. So we'll aim for uh, over 12 months, but maybe under 18 months. And uh, my prayer, as I was sharing with a few of you, is that uh, if the Lord would cut you, if you got cut this year, that you would bleed Romans. Let's know this book. All right? Let's get after it. What is this book about? Well, our slide shows us we're, we're, we're saying that it is about the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Okay? All right, so what do we mean by this? Okay, the righteousness of God. Kids, listen up, okay? I don't know if you guys ever had this toy growing up. Has anyone had that toy tool bench with like all the pegs and the hammers that you would bang on it? Anyone have that? Uh-huh. Okay. Your mom would absolutely go crazy when you were playing with that toy. Do you know why? Because you would pick up those pegs and you would like, you would get this square peg and you would take your hammer and you would go to the tool like whole section that was round. Okay. And you would take that round peg and you would like look at that circle hole and you would go bang, 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 bang. And your mom would be on the phone and she'd be like, oh, just a minute, just a minute. And she'd be talking to her like sister, or your aunt or whatever. She'd just hold on a minute. And she would come over here and she would take your tool set and you bang, bang, bang. She'd gently with such grace and genteelness, right, mamas? And she would move your wrists over from the round holes to the square holes, and then you would go from this, bang, 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 and go, right? And then she would get back on the phone, and she would go, hey, oh, I just love you so much. Hey, I just want to let you know that for Christmas this year, I'm going to buy your kids a fish, <laughs> and I'm going to buy them a drum set, <laughs> right? Thanks for buying that tool set for my children. That, that's kind of how Romans works. 
This is what Paul is trying to do for us. It's all about how to get a square peg that is you, humanity, mankind, into a round hole that is how can man be reconciled to God? A sinful, lowly man be reconciled to a righteous and holy God. You can't. You can't do it. But through Christ, you can. And so we're going to figure this thing out. How to get and become righteous in order to know a righteous God. You see, friends, you need a righteous God to send His righteous Son to satisfy His righteous requirements. And He satisfied His righteous requirements by giving you righteousness. So let's get after it. Two points today. Square peg, that would be you. And a round hole which would be the righteous requirements of God, kind of how the gospel is going to work. So let's start out with square peg. All right, so Paul spends his first three chapters getting us lost. It is an argument or a justification, an explanation of why we need Jesus, okay? When you walked in here, you might have received a bookmark. Go ahead and wave it on up. You're free to go in the back and get one. But on the front side of that, there's a whole bunch of words. And, and it says in chapters 1 through 3, it, it, it's all about sin. Okay? And he proves to us that we are sinful. Chapters 4 and 5, all about salvation. Chapters 6 through 8, the great sanctification passage. Um, chapters 9 through 11, about the sovereignty of God. And then it talks about how we as believers, as saints, that we are in service to Him. Chapters 12 through 16. And our prayer, we want you to be able to know your way around Romans, not just to be smart, but so that you can be missionaries, so that you can impart the gospel to others. Paul, the consummate missionary and evangelist, he must convince his readers, his audience, that they are a square peg and unable to attain righteousness on their own. So the first part of this book is bad news. Just to talk to our church for a second, as we dive into this book, have a mind, have a lens for your relationships, your coworkers, your classmates, your friends, your neighbors, whatever, that the strategy must be that they must know that they need Christ first. And so chapters 1 through 3, the argument of Paul culminates in verses three, or chapter 3, 9 through 11. Can I read it for you? Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans and we're going to be flipping around a little bit today as this is, in essence, an overview. Verse 9, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and 
and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. None, no one understands. No one seeks after God. So if I may, let me just ask a few simple questions. Are you ready? How many are righteous? How many understand? All right, let this, let this hit home. Ready? How many seek God? What was the answer? So how can I get to God then? <laughs> Hang on a moment. It gets worse. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if I may, again, just ask a few simple questions. How many have sinned? That's right. How many have fallen short of the glory of God? That's right. His standards, His ways, every one of us. And so if we're lumped all in together and there's no distinction, and our response is, well, that's not fair. I mean, what is the end of this bad news? Like, where is this road leading to? The answer is this, that this road leads to death. Romans 6.23. Can you flip a, th a few more pages? 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Alright, so uh, kids, who had a, a summer job this summer? Anybody? Anyone make any money? Nobody? Anyone mow any lawns? Anything like that? We had one? What was your job this summer, Ryan? A lemonade stand. Awesome. Well done. Okay, so let's go with that. All right, so Ryan, she's like mix master extraordinaire. She's got a little, was it organic lemonade? Was it powdered? Was it, how, how do you guys roll in your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I knew it. I knew it. All right. So we got organic lemonade from the Franks here. Okay. And so she's making it. Okay. And then so-and-so drives on by. Okay. And Ryan extends her arm with her organic lemonade. Okay. And then how much was it? 25 cents? Dollar? 10 bucks. 30 cents. All right. 50 cents. Inflation. COVID. <laughs> okay. And the person hands Ryan 50 cents. Let me ask a question. Is that a gift? Is that an offering? Is that out of the, just the, uh, out of their heart? No. Actually, Ryan is making money there. It's called a wage. And she deserved that 50 cents from getting out the cups getting out the table, making a little artwork, putting it down. She did it. She deserves 50 cents for every cup. Can I get an amen, Ryan? Amen. Good. And we laugh a little bit, but a wage, if you're taking notes, is something that you deserve. And God is saying that the wage 
for sin pause for a minute what's that word that sounds pretty religious it, it is but it's okay we're going to get through it sin is used also in the context of archery it's an archery term right and everyone knows if you're if you're an archery what are you shooting for the mark right the bullseye good and if you miss the mark the rings around the bullseye are called sins so if you miss the mark if you miss the bullseye you're off a sin god is saying the wages the penalty something that you deserve if you miss the mark which is perfection the penalty is death death is eternal separation from god we all die a physical death what god is saying is that when we all die a physical death the penalty for being under sin is that you will be forever eternally separated from god so there's two real places you go when you die it's either heaven or hell and those who are under sin and in sin who have sin who have committed sin will go to hell by the way uh when when it says that we miss the mark it's not that we were just like slightly off like we almost hit bullseye if you want an image it was like this we pulled back the arrow we knocked it and we went like this away from the target we pointed it up we let go of the arrow and we went <laughs> i love shooting that way and we're going to see that in romans we love prior to christ we love our sin but and this is where we start transitioning to the round hole where we talk about how the gospel works how god the father made a way through jesus christ and this is where it gets good we had to share the bad news first because that's the truth of it are you ready round hole here we go but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord it's a free gift remember ryan's lemonade stand she earned that wage because she sold lemonade this is totally different that god gives a free gift and that free gift is eternal life this is life everlasting this is life beyond this life into the next life and it's beautiful and it happens in a very specific and narrow way it happens as the verse says through jesus christ through jesus christ john 14 6 says i am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me um, i don't know if you know this but i just started coaching my second born and me and my dad are the junior high coaches for volleyball i love it it's been so fun uh, all I, I i just look at a youtube clip prior to class and then i teach what i learned in that youtube clip that's my strategy so far okay um 
And we've, we've started sharing the gospel to our team. Um, I shared my testimony uh, this past week. And we talked about the gospel and how you have to believe in Jesus to know God and be in heaven with him forever. It was beautiful. It was awesome, right? And, and it, it became clear when we talked about the gospel and what it is not. You see, all religions talk about God in the same way. That God is this, this, this person on a mountaintop and you can choose your own path, your way to God, this various destination. We're all going to the same place. We just have different ways to get there. And that's what every single religion says in the world except Christianity. Jesus says, you have to come through me. You have to believe in me. And you have to reject all other ways. How did the righteous father do this? Romans 5, 7 and 8. Would you go there with me? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even die. Here's verse 8. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that beautiful? I want that. If you're asking the question, what must I do to be saved from this verse? The answer is in the next verse, verse 9. Would you read it? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. So friends, to become a Christian, you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. If you notice, it's not just confess with your mouth like, yeah, yeah, you got to get the right answers. You must believe in your heart that Jesus is God. This is believe. This is surrender your life to Him. This is all you are for all of Him comes out your mouth, and it shows with your actions. And just a quick side note, friends, everything that I've shared with you so far is on the back of your bookmark. And if you would just give a hand for Jess of Plant who made that bookmark for us. Isn't that great? Awesome. What a great tool. What a great tool. So here's a little vision announcement, okay? While the junior high are meeting in the fellowship hall, second and fourth Sundays, we are starting a special new ministry to ages five to ten. Everyone right on up to junior high. And we are going to be memorizing Romans Road in this room from six to seven thirty. And it's going to be awesome. Okay. So parents drop your kids off in this room or that room and like go out to eat or whatever. And we're going to be playing games we're going to be like learning some cool dancing. And then we're going to like memorize Romans Road, the gospel. And we'll memorize some good songs together. And it will be a great, great semester. I know just talking with parents, one of the greatest concerns right after the safety of COVID is the socialization of my kids. I don't want my kids to grow up 
just looking at a computer screen. We want to meet that need. We want to have the kids come and we'll be safe in here and we're going to learn and we're going to disciple. Pray for open doors that this next generation would become our next missionaries. Wouldn't that be great in 20 years if we could send some out from us? be awesome. So there it is. More emails to come and things like that, but start writing it down. Um, it'd be great. Kids, are you excited? I'm going to be excited to hang out with you. be awesome. Okay, so let's, let's go back to it. Ready? Why salvation? Like, is this message, is this gospel message just so I would feel nice and comfortable about when I die? Is it just so that I can feel nice like about the afterlife and I can live in this peace? And I would say, no. There is a purpose to our salvation. If I have received this free gift of salvation, the question is, what is the purpose of my life now? For you history buffs, Here's how the Westminster Catechism would answer, ask and answer that question. They would say, what is the chief end of man? All right. The answer would be, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Okay? Um, this is one thing that I've done with my children. The shorter Reformed Catechism would ask and answer the question like this. How do you glorify God? By loving Him and obeying His commands. But we don't want to just like trust in catechisms because they're cool. Let's see what God's Word says about that and see if that's consistent. Okay? Let's read the top and tail of Romans. Let's go to chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. We're going to read the beginning and the end and trying to glean. The melody line of Romans. Verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. There's the beginning. Okay? Watch for some common or repetitive phrases. 16. Chapter 16. Verse 25 through 27. Here we go. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, verse 26, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever more through Jesus Christ. Amen. Did you catch it in there? What Paul starts and ends this long letter with? To bring about the obedience of faith. Don't get scared of that word. It's not a legalistic word, obedience. Paul uses it in a really bold way. And he says that this is the purpose of your salvation, to bring about the obedience of faith. Friends, we know that works doesn't save. But we do know that the faith that God gives works. Therefore, our work is to help other people grow in Christ. 
to help other people grow in their faith, to make disciples. Or we, we, we've said before in the past, to help people walk with Jesus. So your call is to help others grow in their faith, to bring it about, as this verb uses. And so friends, uh, just to even anticipate in your mind, if I could just jump in your mind for a second, wonder what you might be thinking when you hear that. Anytime that there's that commission and like lofty vision and call for the Christian, perhaps you're thinking something like this. That's too great of a call for me. It's too much. I can't do that. I can't handle it. My schedule is too busy already. How do I do that? And this is where our gospel comes in. This is how the righteousness of God works in the life of the believer. And right here, coming next, is the theme verse of Romans. Okay? So all up to this point, in the gospel, and the call to the gospel, and what the gospel does, how, how do I do that? Do I have to be like Martin Luther pre-conversion and just try really hard to be a nice monk-like Christian? Watch this. Chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Here we go. For it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for it in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the verse where Luther became a Christian. He read it and he wrote this. I felt myself to be reborn and gone through the open doors of paradise before the righteousness of God was a fearful burden. But now, it has become sweet instead. You see, God gave you His righteousness through Christ that you would fulfill His righteous requirements for salvation and walk righteously and obediently, depending on Christ's righteousness to grow in righteousness. <laughs> I know, it's wild, but that's Romans. And we're going to dig in. Friends, that's the round hole. Together, we're going to cherish Jesus in the gospel that only He provides. This is the basis for Paul saying the righteous will live by faith. Last quote. We'll end here and then we'll pray. This is by Augustine of Hippo. He says, The righteousness of God is that righteousness which He imparts in order to make men righteous. Let's pray. And so God, we love You and we love that You are righteous. And we declare now in the beginning of this great journey through the book of Romans that we need your righteousness. 
We can't muster it up on our own. For faith or to walk by faith. And we need the righteousness of Christ. And we thank you that he provides it through faith and by faith when we look to him. And so we pray for the students in this room that this week they would look to you and depend on Jesus to walk righteously. They wouldn't have the prayer of, I just got to get better at stuff. We pray for for the women in the room. Lord, when they're struggling this week, Lord, I pray that they would look to your son who is righteous, who has imparted his righteousness to them through faith. And Lord, that they would walk by faith this week and cling to your righteousness, that your son Jesus may shine through them. Lord, for the men in the room, that they would not lead out of their own false identity of trying to be righteous, that they would point people to Jesus by delighting in their weaknesses. And only through Christ, they would let their righteous shine forth. So we need him desperately. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you for your spirit that is at work in us, in your church. We cling to him now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.